You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. No, we're going to have a look at God's Word together. Um, and I pray that God will speak to us as we gather together around His Word this morning. Amen. That you will hear what you need to hear and that God will speak to you what you need to hear as well. Would anyone say Amen. Okay, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to fly into this this morning. This morning's message is titled, The Unconquered. I'm looking at Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to look at those few verses in a few minutes. But when you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, right? If you read the Old Testament of the Bible, and I recommend that you read the Bible because as Max McLean on Life FM says, it's good for your soul. It is good for your soul to read the Bible. Would anyone say amen? So when you read the Bible, you get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the Old Testament law under Moses. As you come to the end of that and the start of the next book, a book called Joshua, it's the time of the conquest of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And as you read through the end of Deuteronomy and you get into the start of Joshua, a phrase is used no less than five times between the last verse or the last chapter of Deuteronomy and the first chapter of Joshua. And that is this. Do not be afraid, but be very courageous. And that is what God continually speaks to Joshua, who was the leader of the people of Israel, taken over from Moses. Moses said to him, Joshua, you're about to take over. Do not be afraid, but be very courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's what he said to him. And then when you get into Joshua chapter 1, it sounds like every time that Joshua walked around the camp, somebody walked up to him and said, Joshua, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Every, it says it like four times, don't be afraid, be very courageous, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And it makes me wonder when I read that, why is it that people were saying this all the time to Joshua? Can I suggest something? Maybe there was something on Joshua's face that made people think, I think he's a bit afraid. I don't think that he's as confident and as courageous as maybe he should be. Or maybe, just maybe, they were putting into Joshua's life what was actually in their own life and in their own minds. They were afraid themselves to cross over. They didn't know what the future was. It was uncertain. They had the promises of God, but they weren't walking in those promises yet. And so they were uncertain about the future. And so it's the same for us. We can be uncertain about our futures, even when we have the promises and the reassurances of God. We can still be uncertain about our futures. I want to flash forward past all the major battles that happen in the early part of Joshua and read a verse that comes up in Joshua chapter 11. Here's a a verse from Joshua chapter 11, which seems to be the end of the story. They go in, they wage war, they they conquer the land, and this is what it says. It says, so Joshua took control of the entire land, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. He gave it to the people of Israel as their special possession, dividing the land among the tribes, so the land finally had rest from war. And so you see here in 1123, the promise of God is fulfilled. I meant to say good morning. Oh no, I'm not saying good morning to Cafe Church. They've got a live speaker down there this morning. Yeah. Good morning anyway, Cafe Church. If the TV's on in the background, hi. Uh, bombing the message downstairs. Anyway, um, here we see the, 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 the promise of God being fulfilled. They go in, they conquer the land, and the land is divided amongst all of the tribes. And you think, well, that's it. The story's over. It's fantastic. They go in, they fulfill the promises of God, they do all that God told them to do, and the land has rest from war. 
And sometimes we can think that, you know, what we, you know, God's promises are there and they will be fulfilled in our lives and amen and hallelujah. And I believe that. Does anybody else believe that, that God's promises will be fulfilled? But I think there's a little bit more to it. I remember being up in a place called Coleraine, up on the way up on the north coast. Are you from Coleraine, Richard? You are. You're from Coleraine. What county is Coleraine in again? Forgive me. County Derry. No, no, it's Derry. I'm fairly certain of that, actually. Yeah. It's there, Richard. Anyway, I was up in this, I, I was a young Christian, I was about 18 years of age, and I went up to this, really, we were just doing this tour of small churches up in Northern Ireland, and this is many, many years ago, it's the late, it's the late 80s, and I'm sitting in this church, and one I decided to have a testimony night, where people would get up and they'd share their testimony of their lives, and they, they'd share the testimony of how they came to know Jesus and the effect that it had in their lives. So this guy gets up, and you forgive me, but I, I, I like doing an accent, but this guy gets up and he says, I just want to tell you the story of what God has done in my life. And they were all, hallelujah, amen. You know? Sorry, so you, ha- you have to be up. There's no, I'm not, aff- am I offending anybody? Tough luck. Um, so, starts off and he says, he says, I want to tell you a story. And he says, I used to work in Bushmills Distillery where they made whiskey. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is going to be an interesting story. And he says, you know, we had a little device that we used to drop into the barrels and we would be drunk at work all day, every day. Five days a week into the shift, we'd be drunk an hour after we got in. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like a bad job to me. Anyway, so this guy, and then he says, and you know, I was an awful man. I was carrying on getting drunk and living it up with women and song and drink constantly. And I was a gambler and I made loads of money when I was gambling. And you know something? I was living an awful life. And then... I got saved. And the energy drained away in the room as he had this dawning realization that he had become a Christian and he'd ruined his life in the process. And I was sitting there going, mm, that's not much of a testimony. And then he sat down. Said there was none of this. And then I got a breakthrough here and the Lord delivered me from this. No, no, it was just, and then I got saved. And somebody comes and said, thank you for that, Brother Trevor. That was a wonderfully encouraging testimony. And I'm sitting there, I'm just like a, you know, kind of a teague from the south. <laughs> sitting there going, that wasn't a wonderful testimony. It was just a story about a fellow who was getting drunk at work. But he tells this story, right? And I think, you know, it's a bit like that. Sometimes you can feel, well, then he got saved. And the rest of the story was just wonderful. But brothers and sisters, the rest of the story is wonderful, but it's not simple. It's not simple. It's not. And then I got saved and everything changed. And you know, I know that when we think about it, we realize that. But emotionally, we can feel, well, if I'm a Christian, why is this happening in my life? If I'm a Christian, why haven't I conquered this? Why haven't I beaten this thing in my life? I want to look after these chapters here. Chapter 11, Joshua says that Joshua conquered the land, divided up the territory. For the next nine chapters or so, it talks about the various divisions that Joshua made. And if it was me, I'm sitting there and he's, he's writing down. He's saying, okay, no, I want to give the land of Issachar. The Issachar are going to get the, from Beth-Avon over to Jeshmoor, from Jeshmoor down to Baal, Jeshemoth, and back across to Kiriath Arba. Trust me on this one. Um, and he's drawing these maps and he's saying, this land is going to this people and this land is going to this people. And you go, wow, that's amazing. They're dividing of God's promises being delivered to them in their land until you get a little bit further forward into Joshua chapter 23. And Joshua chapter 23, the tone changes ever so slightly. At this stage, Joshua is a very old man and he's about to die. 
so he calls him in. And let's pick up the story where it starts. It says, the years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies, okay? They'd been given rest from all their enemies. But watch what happens next. Joshua was now very old, and he called together the elders and the leaders and the judges and the officers of Israel. And he said to them, I know a very old man. And he had seen everything that God had done. And he says this. You've seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. And I have allotted to you as your homeland all the lands of the nations yet unconquered. Aha. As well as the land of those we have already conquered from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. He divides up after drawing out all of the map and after saying this land is going to the Issachar and Asher are getting this piece of land and the tribe of Judah is getting this piece of land and Naphtali are getting this piece of land. He then says to them, I've divided up the land, but it's not conquered yet. It's not conquered yet. The land is yours, but it's not conquered yet. You haven't actually conquered the land yet. He goes on to say this, this land will be yours. The Lord your God will himself drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of the land, just as the Lord your God has promised. So, when I'm reading this, and when you're looking at the history of the Israelites, something interesting has happened. When they crossed the Jordan River, are you still with me, by the way? They crossed the Jordan River, and they go in with the title deeds in their hands. The best title deeds they could possibly have. The, the maker of heaven and earth has handed them the title deeds for the land. And they walk in with the title deeds in their hands, but something else is going on. And that is this. He's saying, the land is there in front of you. You can take it. Now put on your sword and take it. Put on your sword. Because we can sometimes revel in the promise and the commitment of God, but there's still something for us to do. There's still something for us to commit to. There's still something for us to get on our game about. And we can assume that, you know, God's got this. You know, and we're going to look at that in a second, but we can just say, well, God's got this and, you know, I'm at ease with it and all. But sometimes God calls us to actually take the land ourselves. He's saying, it's yours. No, you need to go in and walk and take it. Every, la every single acre of the land that they were called to take, they had to take by the sword. Every single acre. There was none of it kind of like, stand back there now. The Lord is after giving me this blessing and I'm just going to walk into it. No, they had to take it every single acre. When writing about this uh, particular subject, the, the, uh, the Bible scholar, David Pawson, he writes this about the story of the, about this conquest that we're talking about here and about these unconquered lands. When the children of Israel go into the land of Canaan, he says this about them. He said, without God, they could not have done it. Without them, God would not have done it. Not that God could not, he could, but he would not have done it without them. That was God's sovereign choice to say, I'm going to take this land and you are going to be the agents of taking that land. You want to walk into the promises of God, then you need to go and cooperate with God. 
You know, it's a strange thing. We are in a divine cooperation to see the purposes of God fulfilled in our lives. And every part of the territory of our lives and every part of the territory of the promises of God that we are to take, we must cooperate in. I love it when the psalmist writes this verse. He says, with God's help, we will do mighty things for he will trample down our enemies. He will trample them, but we will do the mighty things because he has trampled down our enemies. And so as the children of Israel cross the river and go into Canaan and they look at all the tribes that are there, God is saying, it's yours, go in and take it. You go, what? But like, what, what about all the, you know, what, what about all the, the miracles? Remember, they had already seen pillars of fire and pillars of cloud and manna. And they'd seen all these miracles. And now God says, it's time for you, buddy, to strap on your sword and begin to press into the promises and the good things of God. To press into God's inheritance. Imagine you had an inheritance and you didn't claim it. Imagine that. I mean, it's kind of the story of Hollywood fiction, is it? That some mad uncle, George, O'Donovan, Rossa, DeBorka, something like that, dies in Chicago and leaves behind him a fortune of $50 million. And I leave to my great-great-grand-grand-grand-grand-nephew, uncle's cousin's brother's sister, Michael, my $50 million. Hallelujah. And they say, you have to get on a plane and come over and sign the deeds and collect the money. And you go, what? Like, why isn't it being delivered to me? Like, I mean, shouldn't they put that in a ship or something and bring it over to me? No, you have to go and you have to collect. Amen. So you go, oh, where's he going with this? i tell you where I'm going with this, right? I love what this writer says. Writer I've never heard of before. Don't even know. He might be 13 years of age. I don't know what age he is. It says, nothing is taken without a fight. But when we fight, there's nothing we cannot take. Amen. Let's just close in prayer, prayer lads. You're missing it. You're missing it. Nothing is taken without a fight. Nothing. You're going to plant your flag in the land. You have to fight for the land. If you want to see God's promises fulfilled in your life, you have to take part in that process. You know, last, last week was the, was the 50th anniversary of the men landing on the moon, right? So the men go up and they land on the moon and they plant a flag. And from then on, the moon is known as Moon America or the United States of the moon, whatever it's called, right? So, but when they get up there, they plant the flag and they declare, this is our territory. Mankind, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You know, they, they, they do, they, they, stop that note. Or he says, I can see my host from here. Um, so they get up on the moon and they plant the flag and then they're there. And everybody knows who the two men who walked on the moon were. Anybody? Names, names? <laughs> Neil Armstrong and... Buzz Aldrin. Now, does anybody know who didn't walk on the moon? <laughs> Michael Collins. Yes, he wasn't shot at Balenam Law. He went to the moon. The, the third astronaut was a guy called Michael Collins of Irish descent, incidentally. Of course, I knew the Irish would get to the moon. Anyway, um, so he was of Irish descent. But can you imagine going all the way to the moon and then sitting in the capsule while your two buddies go and do one small step per man. I mean, wouldn't that be so annoying? Like, you're stuck inside there at the steering wheel and everybody remembers you. Neil Armstrong, I just want to say, you know, I want to greet all everybody there on planet Earth. And Michael Collins, they go, see if they want to go on the moon too. Why can't I go out? 
And this guy goes all the way to the moon. He travels 600,000 miles to get to the moon. Or it's a million kilometers for those of you who are in metric. And he goes a million kilometers and he lands on the moon. And then he doesn't even get out of the lunch. He doesn't even get out of the, of, of the capsule. I mean, personally, if it was me, I'd say, nah, I'd stay on Earth by your grand. If I'm going to get up there, I want to walk on the moon. It's that simple. Now, I have to say this one thing important. There's something important to, to note about this. And that is that before these guys got to the moon and walked on the moon, what were they called? Some of the crickets. They were called astronauts. Isn't that right? They were called astronauts before they got to the moon. Isn't that right? In actual fact, before they even left in a rocket, they were called astronauts. Are you with me? Even before they got on the rocket, that was their name. That's what they were called, astronauts. He didn't say, well, I'm going to be an astronaut as soon as I get into space. No, you're an astronaut before you get to space. And it's the same for us, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we need to walk into, even before we take possession of the land, the scripture says, you're a child of God. And you need to walk into that. You are blessed by God. And you need to walk into that. You are in the provision and the care of God, and you need to walk into that. Now, everybody knows that the moon landings are very controversial. Personally, I have a conspiracy theory. I'm not entirely sure they got to the moon, or even if they did. Photographs like this have been doctored, clearly been doctored. If you want to see the original, here's the original photograph. There you go, I told you. The original photograph, the Irish got to the moon first. Would anyone say amen? You see, the Americans go to the moon for conquest, but the Irish would go to the moon for the crack. That's what we'd go to the moon for. And Brendan O'Toole and Sean O'Leary went up in a turf-powered rocket about 20 minutes before the Americans got there. You know something, brothers and sisters? If you are going to make conquest, you have to put in effort. It's that simple. You have to put in effort. But the effort that you're putting in is only works if you're walking into what God has already promised you to do. Amen? Let's look at Abraham, for instance. I love the way this is put in the message, in, in, in the translation of the message. This is what it says. It says, Abraham was first named father and then became the father because he dared to trust, what, trust God to do what only God could do, to raise the dead to life and with the word make something out of in the old King James Version, it says, God calls the things that are not as though they are. As though they are. And when he says to you, you are my child, we kind of think, mm, maybe it's not really me, is it? It's, I don't really feel like a child of God, you know? You don't look in the mirror, first thing in the Monday morning, look in the mirror and go, I'm born again. Because I feel like I want to go back to bed. That's what I feel like. But you know something? God calls the things that are not as though they are. And he says to them in Joshua chapter 11, the land is taken, just you're going to have rest from your enemies. But that wasn't actually the reality, the lived out reality. Just as God changed Abraham's name to Abraham, which means father of many, he changed his name before he did for him what he planned to do. You with me? It's kind of fake it till you make it. It's a little bit like that. Abraham was probably sitting in the pub somewhere in Canaan, you know, with the lads and the buddies. And they said, come here, I heard you're after changing your name, boy. He said, yeah, I'm after changing my name. He said, from my Abraham, Abraham, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, I'm going to be called Abraham from now on. They went, Abraham, so you have no children, boy. That means father of many nations. Who do you think you are? 
And you know, sometimes your enemy, the devil, can say to you, If you read the epistles that Paul writes in the New Testament, broadly, most of the teaching epistles, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, if you read those, Thessalonians, you will see a structure, Romans, thank you, you will see a structure to those. And the structure goes like this. Paul normally begins by greeting them, then by telling them all that God has done for them spiritually. For instance, in Ephesians, the incredible chapter 1 of Ephesians, the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, tells them all about that. Then he tells them about their new identity, who they are in Jesus. And then he sticks in a word that's translated in the NIV. I'm going to use the NIV translation of the word. And he sticks in a kind of a snaky word. And then he says, so this is what God has done. This is who you are. And then he says, therefore. 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 And he says, this is what God has done. This is who you are. Therefore, you know you need to live like this. And then he elucidates the life of the Christian who knows what God has done for them, knows who they are in Christ Jesus, and then begin to walk in God's reality. Therefore is a really important word, and I hope if you're not a native English speaker, uh, you understand what it means. Let me simplify even he could say that Paul says, so, so, this is what you must do, alors, I believe is the French, alors, so, and so, and he says, and so, this is what you need to do to work it out. You have to work it out. Let me tell you this, if you don't work it out, if you don't, if you decide, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to put any work into this, I'm not going to commit myself to this work of God in my life. If you don't work, I guarantee you this, the enemy, your enemy, the devil, he'll keep working. He'll keep working to undermine you. He'll keep working to get at you. If the minute you give up, he don't give up. We've, we've often said it here in Grace Church, the enemy doesn't take any summer holidays. He doesn't take any annual leave. Hello, I'm the devil, I'm on annual leave. No, he's not. Never, never takes a break like that. He's continually pursuing us. He's continually after us. And you know, we have to work it out in our lives. It's very simple, right? Imagine you're praying for a job, right? And the Lord gives you the job. Hallelujah, I'm after getting a job in Apple. I'm after getting the job I really wanted in Apple. Is that the end of the story? Do you kind of have to show up like, what? Well, I have to show up like the Lord gave me the job, like? Or, or imagine you get a house. Oh, the Lord has finally provided for me a house. The Lord has literally given me the land to walk into. Do you still have to pay the mortgage? Hello? Do you see the simplicity of the point I'm making? Or imagine you finally get the girl of your dreams. And then you just take her for granted because like the Lord gave you to me. Like, I mean, the Lord gave me. No, you have to work out that relationship. Would anyone say amen? Would any of the brothers say amen? How many of the brothers here have met the girl of their dreams? Husbands, I warn you, this is your chance. Few too many hands still down there. Counseling sessions opening at three o'clock upstairs in the atrium. We'll be doing speed counseling, table to table to table to table to table. As Paul is telling them, you've got to work it out, brothers and sisters. You've got to work it out. Here's what he says to the Philippian church. He says this. 
I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God, who began, who started the work in you, he started the work in you, and he will continue to do it until the day when Jesus Christ returns. And whatever weaknesses, our flaws, our failures, our unconquered territory you have in your life, then they will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. But until then, we work. And that's why God, that's why God, through Paul, says this to us. He says, keep on working to complete your salvation. Let me just say this. You cannot earn your salvation. Will anyone say amen? Just in case anybody says, you said you that. No, you cannot earn it. It is all done. It is all done. Keep on working to complete your salvation. And I love the next line. And I haven't heard a preach done for about 45 years. Actually, not before. I haven't been a Christian that long. But I haven't heard a preach. And do it with fear and trembling. What? Well, what about the joy? No, he says, work it out with fear and trembling. Why? For God is at work in you. God is at work. So there is, if you will, there is an accounting for the work that is going on in your life. And he says, you've got to work it out, lads. You've got to finish off the work. You've got to work out that territory in your life. You, when you look at your life, you've got to work out what is yet to be taken by the Lord. What is yet to be taken by the Lord? God is at work in you and I love he goes on to say giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He gives us the desire and the power if we're just you know I don't know about you but when I look at the map of my life when I look at the map of my heart I realize that this area in my life that remains unconquered. There's areas in my life where as of yet the flag of the Lord Jesus Christ is not quite implanted. I want it to be and yes I am getting there but I recognize that parts of my life, parts of areas of my life, nothing terminal at least I hope not. I'm not all sin is terminal, that's another story. Nothing terminal but I know I recognize there's attitudes in my life that are just not there's grumbling that can go on in my life, and it just isn't right. There's areas in my life that should be filled with thanksgiving, and instead they're filled with something else. At times, nobody is perfect, would anyone say amen? If anybody gets up, and no matter how white their teeth are, or how not grey their hair is, or no matter how ripped their body is, they're not perfect, okay? Just wanted to put that on the record there, in case anybody's wondering. But you know, there's areas in my life, if I'm honest to say, look at the map of my life, I can see that there's areas yet to be overcome. But with God's help, we will do that. Amen. When you look at your life, do you see areas that need to be conquered yet? Do you see areas in your life and heart that you say, Lord, I need you to conquer this, or will you help me to conquer this area in my life? For some of us, it's a habit. For some of us, it's an action. For others of us, it's an attitude. And for some of us, it may be all three. There's areas in our lives that we need yet to come. I love when, this, when, when the Lord reminds the people of what they've done for him. Brothers and sisters, pay attention to what the Lord said. He said, I give you land you had not worked on. I give you tones you did not build. I give you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. 
He's done it. He's done it. But you know the land that they didn't work on, you think they had to work on it when they got there? Do you see the towns that they didn't build? Do you think they had to maintain them and build them even further when they got there? Do you see the vineyards and the olive groves? Do you think that they had to tend them and see that they're more, even more fruitful in their lives? But God had done it. And he says this, so, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Serve him with the whole of your heart. Joshua then wraps it all up. This verse is actually quoted almost word for word verbatim. We quoted it last week and it's quoted almost verbatim. It says this, Joshua says this, Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. You know, when I look at the territory of my life, I think of the relationships around me. I think of my, I think of my children who have yet to be conquered for Jesus Christ. That's the truth of it. They might say the right things, but their hearts haven't been conquered yet. I want to see Jesus Christ move into their lives. I see the lives in my neighborhood. I would love to see things change in my neighborhood. Even in my broader family, people that I love and I long for, I say, Lord, I'm not finished. But you know what? I have God's promises. God has spoken clearly to me over the years. But I know this, I'm just not walking in that territory yet. I haven't conquered it yet. But with God, we will do valiantly because he, he, it's he who will track, cast down our enemies. Would anyone say amen? Have you got an area in your heart or in your life that you want to hand over and say, Lord, I recognize this is unconquered. Will you help me to conquer this attitude, this action, or this area? If you've got one of those, we're going to pray for that in a second. Maybe the worship band are going to come up. Just before they do, I want to offer you up one last verse. And it comes from the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it's very important to remember that in the book of Hebrews, when you read 1, 2, 3, and 4 in the book of Hebrews, you discover that what happens in the end of this story, and many of you will know it, is that the children of Israel never actually entered in to the full purposes and plans of God. They were hard-hearted, they were afraid, they didn't obey Him, and so as a result of that, they never actually walked in those full-blooded promises of God. And he says, he goes on to say, so let us make every effort to enter God's rest. The land was described as the place of rest. Let's make every effort to enter God's rest. And he finishes by saying this. He says, if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we believe, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. We will share in it all. Our inheritance will be assured, but we will have to stay faithful. We'll stand with you. We'll sing. We'll pray. We bow our heads just for a second. If you're here this morning and you recognize, and perhaps you recognize it from the moment you walked into the room that God was speaking to you, not necessarily, but as we spoke on. But if you're here this morning, you recognize, you know, there is a territory my life and in my heart, there is an attitude, there is an action, there is an area in my life that has yet to be conquered. And I want to say, Lord, will you help me conquer this area in my life? Will you help me as I put my hand to the sword? Will you help me as I put my hand to the ground? Will you help me as I set my face to conquer this area of my life? Will you raise your hand? Let's pray together in just a second.
band are going to lead us in a song. Will you say I am? Because this morning, what we're praying is that we would walk into all of what God says about us. Today we want to declare we're children of God and we want to walk in all that God has for us. Will anyone say amen? So if you've raised your hand just in the last couple of moments, I'm going to invite you to come to the front here. We're going to pray together briefly. We're going to come to the front for this very simple reason. We're just showing our sincerity to God. You're not coming up to me, but you're showing your sincerity to God. You're saying, Lord, I recognize that this is something that I need to confront in my life. This is something that I really recognize needs change. And I want to stand before you and ask you for your change in my life and your call. That's why we respond. So the guys are going to lead us to the song. Who you say they are. If you want to make you up, we're going to pray here together.
a lifestyle, it's a relationship, it's a way of living. And you thought that it would bring you life, but it's actually bringing you death and you feel like you can't let it go. You thought that this was going to be life-giving, you thought that this was going to be life-changing, but it's turned out to be life-draining and it's bringing death instead of life. And this morning the Lord is saying to you, you need to let go of that thing which is destroying your life. You need to let go of that thing that you think is actually giving you life. It's actually bringing you death. Serving tea and coffee upstairs in the atrium. 